Amen. I love to hear stories about disciples making disciples. That's what the kingdom is about. That's what it's all about, followers of Jesus, making more followers of Jesus. And so, so grateful that they're here with us today. Make sure you touch base with them, get to know them, pick up a prayer card, pray for their family, and pray for God to continue to give them uh, direction as they uh, parent, as they shepherd the kids on campus, and also as they parent their beautiful children. God continue to bless that ministry as well. Well, today we begin a series entitled Honor. Say honor. Honor. Honor matters. Honor matters. I would say that honor is the way of the kingdom of God. Honor is the way of the kingdom of God. And today, we're going to talk about honor in every, every uh, culture, every generation, and every gift. We're going to begin a series that focuses on that reality. And uh, we want to be a people who live and who walk and who give honor everywhere that we go. Amen? So, before we dive into all that that means, I think it's important that we define honor. What does honor mean? To honor means to esteem and to hold in high regard and to respect self and others, okay? To honor, to have a disposition of honor, to honor someone means that I'm going to hold them in high regard, that I'm going to respect them, that I'm going to turn with a listening ear and really be attentive to what's going on in their lives or what they're saying. God calls me to honor you. God calls me to honor me. God calls me to honor all those that surround us. You know, as we were preparing and just praying throughout the year about all that we see happening in our culture, in our community, uh, the staff really just felt, you know, there's so much ground that we have to gain in regards to having conversations, learning to listen to one another, learning to respect each other, even in the midst of our difference. So much of that needs to happen. And because of that, because of that urgency that God's put in our heart, we want to talk about living lives that honor others in a very toxic culture that we live in. Do you realize that the culture that surrounds us in the world is a toxic culture? Now, do you realize that as the church, you don't have to submit to this world? You can live in this world and not be a part of this world in the way that this world works, right? We can be in this world, but not of this world. And God calls us not to operate like this world, but rather to hold others in high regard and to respect self and others. You know, I, got, I have a good friend who was stationed at Fort Bennings and at Fort Knox, and I got to visit in both of those forts and both of those places. And as you know, that's where military people live as they wait their assignment or their deployment, right? Like that's where they live. And when I went into those communities, I got to tell you, man, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. It was like a, there was a level of honor that you can sense. Everybody was treating each other with respect. You know, uh, there were all kinds of things available for you as a, as, a, as a man in the military, as a woman in the military. And you can tell that people We're trying to take care of each other. And it made total sense, right? Because all of those people have made a commitment to to fight for our freedom. Some of them had had some serious, you know, situations that they encountered possibly together. And here they are, right, doing life. And you can tell there's a level of honor, not only with those officers who are of higher rank, but, but with just the way that they treated each other. And I thought, man, this is cool to have. And I thought, thank you, Lord, for places like this, for people who are constantly, who have dedicated their lives to fight for our freedom. Aren't you thankful for our military? I'm thankful. I'm super thankful. If you've served, by the way. And so as I thought about that, I thought, man, this is exactly what the church is supposed to be like. 
when people come to church, it should be a place of high honor where people feel like they're safe, like they're secure, like it's a place where they can heal up, where they can do community, and they can trust the people that surround them. And not only when they come to church, right, but also when they encounter us as a church, people should say, you know, when I hang out with Jay, I just feel secure. I feel safe. I feel like I can trust him. When people come to you, they should have that level of trust. Why? Because you are the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is in you, right? And you should, you should be an example of that kingdom wherever you go. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Part of being a soldier for Christ is not only knowing what we are fighting against, but who we are fighting with and who we are fighting for. You understand that? We're fighting against the kingdom of darkness. And we're fighting with the believers to gain ground for Jesus. And we're fighting for those who do not believe that they would come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If we believe in the Great Commission, people are not our enemy. They are people who need desperately the love of God. The Bible says in Romans that we are to live our lives outdoing each other and honoring each other. Hey, go live your life and just go give honor to people. Go bless people. Go give a listening ear to people. Be humble and serve people. Let people know that you care about them, that they matter to you, and that you're praying for them. Live your life sold out in honoring others. And that's not just for believers. That's for everybody. Everybody. Tonight, I get to hang out with my Muslim friends, and they're going to share with me why they believe that Muhammad is the prophet. And we've shared with them why we believe that Jesus is fully God. And my job there is not just only so that they, my desire is not just that they would come to faith in Christ, but I really want to learn how to honor them, how to have reverence for them, how to listen to them. And I got to tell you, I no longer want to just agree to disagree. I want to learn to love the person in front of me, whether they believe or do not believe. And I got to tell you, this may not make sense to you guys who are not believers and you may be here, but if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, can I tell you this? If you're a follower of Jesus, we need to stop looking at people as people who are, as just as people who are converts and non-converts. Because when we look at people that way, all we're going to think is how are we going to get them to that other line? You know, how do we get them across? And when we think that way, you know what happens? We don't listen as well. We don't love as well. We don't care that much. Is it important that they come to faith in Jesus? Absolutely. And because you care that they come to faith in Jesus, you got to learn to treat. We got to learn to treat people with the utmost respect and reverence. I want to have friends who don't believe like me. I do. I want to have a Muslim friend who doesn't have faith in Jesus, but I want him to be my friend, and I want him to know that I'm going to love him even if he doesn't believe. I want to be able to meet with people who may have different political views than me, and I want them to feel like I honor them no matter what they believe, but that I can speak life and do life with them with appropriate boundaries, right? I want to be able to meet people from all walks of life, atheists, agnostics, Muslims, Hindus, and let them know, hey, in me, you have someone who's going to respect you no matter where you're at in life. 
I'm going to share the truth that I live by, uncompromising truth of Jesus, but I'm going to have, have honor for you. You see, I am convinced that our disposition towards others should be a disposition that honors. And why is that? Because we've been made in the very image of God. So when we talk about honoring every generation, every culture, every gift, we're going to talk about several topics that will teach us what it looks like, right, to do that. We're going to talk about men, how God created us in the image of God. We're going to talk about the choice that God's given us, the ability to choose for or against him. We're going to talk about the way Jesus honored the least of these in Scripture. We're going to talk about learning how to talk again. How do we have conversations again? How do we restore honor in conversations? We're going to talk about honoring diversity. And we're going to talk about, again, honoring, honoring the opposition or those who see things differently. I'm convinced that our first disposition towards others should be a disposition that honors. Why? Because we have been made in the image of God. It doesn't matter if people believe like I believe. It doesn't matter if they've made themselves enemies of God. They have been made in the image of God. And I have to recognize that above everything else. Our present climate does not treat others as if they've been created in the image of God because our present climate denies that there is a God. And therefore, we have a breakdown of all things that pertain to treating people with honor. Lack of honor brings about strife, wounds, offense, division, lack of healthy boundaries, and a yielding to a false identity not given by God. Lack of honor has brought about some of the greatest horrors that have been foisted upon humanity. Lack of honor has been responsible for wars, abuse of all kinds, genocides, the birth of deadly diseases, and levels of hopelessness that are incomprehensible. Unfortunately, history teaches us the church is also responsible for many heinous acts because of lack of honor. Yet I know the true call of God for the church. And that is that without a shadow of doubt, God has created us to be healing agents in the world. We have been entrusted with a message of restoration. We have been given a forgiveness that is valuable, so valuable, and so undeserved. We have been mandated to teach people to walk like Jesus walked. We have been given the mission of calling people back into the image of God, and we have been entrusted with the Great Commission, which is a message of restoration, not of condemnation. And if we're going to do that, if we're going to restore people to right relationship with God, then we have to learn how to honor each other. And so as we dive into all this throughout the following weeks, the whole goal is this, that you would walk out of here and be a true restorer of the kingdom of God in the hearts of men. Because so I tell you that when you begin to honor people, when you begin to honor people, even in their brokenness, even in their mess, and when you begin to see them for who God created them to be, God's going to use you to restore people. Now, aren't you thankful for people who see you in light of what God wants you to be and not according to your actions. Aren't you thankful? Paul says we regard nobody in the flesh, right? Aren't you thankful for people like that? I always talk about my youth pastor. She used to look at me when I was acting a fool, and she'd say, 
you're acting like a fool right now, but I'll, I know who you are, a man of God, a mighty warrior, an overcomer. And even though you're acting like a fool, I want to pray for you like the man of God that you are. It's like, okay, come on. Praise Jesus. I receive it. Right? We need to be able to, you know what I mean? Encourage each other. Lift each other up out of our sins and out of the miry clay that swallows up our lives. And see each other with honor. The same time I've met with somebody who said to me when I became a pastor, you know, I just want you to know, the one thing that you need to know as a pastor is that sheep are dumb. It's like, are, is that for real? Is that how you feel? How long have you been pastoring? Because I'm like a sheep. And you've been my pastor, so how do you... <laughs> No, you are God's prized possession. You're not dumb. People are not dumb. And if you have this worldview that says, you know, people are just stupid, you need to take that to the cross. Because there's no way that we can honor people and have a worldview that says people are just stupid. There's no way that we can ever listen to someone that we feel is stupid. That is not the way of the kingdom. If you don't hear anything else, you need to understand the worldview that says people are stupid. It's not the worldview of the kingdom. So today we focus on honoring God's greatest possession, his, the crown of his creation, which is you. You are the crown of God's creation. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we're going to read there. We're going to move forward. It reads this way, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Stop right there. Throughout this scripture, you're going to notice over and over again in God's creation, God says, God created, and it was good. Whenever God says it's good, park, understand, this is God who's saying it's good. It is the true compass of what is good. When God says it's good, it is the reality of what is good. Someone once said that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. In other words, they're saying, you know, what's pretty to me may not be pretty to you. What's beautiful to me may not be beautiful to others. Everybody can define their own beauty, right? And, and I believe that that's a lie. The reason why is if we can do that with beauty, then we can do that with truth. Then we can say what's true to me doesn't have to be true to you. Everybody can have their own truth, and that's not truth. That's relativity, Beauty is not in the eye of the beholder. Beauty is found wherever God's nature, wherever God's character, wherever God's goodness is displayed. Right? So wherever you see the reality, the truth, the love, the nature, the purity of God, you're going to find beauty. And it's displayed in multiple colors, in multiple people, in multiple tongues, right? Beauty is found where we see 
the image of God. And it's so important to know. God said, and it was good after he created. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now verse 4 of chapter 2 reads this way. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. I love that word helper, um, actually helper. Uh, and it's uh, another way to describe it is the same but different, right? A way, the the same, but another. In other words, when God created man and God created woman, he created them to complement each other. Not one is less the image of God than the other, right? Both are extremely valuable. Both are very different, uniquely different. There's no one that can change that, not the government, not our politics, right? Uniquely different, and yet both extremely valuable. And so, um, as we go as we go on, so the Lord, verse 20, so the man gave, let me see, where was I? Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Now, who's wiser, God or man? God is. Do you think God was like, gee, you know what, Adam? I'm like out of ideas. Why don't you just name all these things? So why in the world would God invite Adam and, Adam and Eve to be a part of this idea or Adam to be a part of this naming the animals? Any ideas? Any thoughts? Scream them at me. Huh? Ownership, right? God had given them ownership. What else? Relationship. Relationship. God wants you and I to be a part of the kitchen. Come into the kitchen and work with me. We're going to make a mess. It's okay. I want you to be a part of this reality. What an awesome God we serve. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the men to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the men's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of a man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, I want to pause there. I want you to know the reality of the kingdom is that you and I are not supposed to walk in shame. And we're not going to get into it today, but if you're walking with a weight of shame on your shoulder, God wants to set you free from that. Because the kingdom of God is not to be lived out in shame. And there's a big difference between conviction and shame. Amen. So, thank you for your word, Lord. Help us understand it today. Amen. Amen. We have been made in the image of God. We've been made in his image. I believe that in order to actually honor each other, we need to see each other for who we are, for who we've been created, who we are created to be. God has made you in his image. And the first thing that means that I want to dive into, one of the first thing that means to us is this. God has given us the ability to reason. 
He's given us the ability to think. Unlike any other created being on this earth, we have been given the ability to reason and have intelligence. David Gusick commentary states that this means there is an unbridgeable gap, an unbridgeable gap between human life and animal life. Though we are biologically similar in some regards, we are distinct in our moral, intellectual, and spiritual capability. Number one, God has made you a moral being. In other words, God has given you the ability to discern between good or bad. And I want you to hear this, and I want you to hear it loud and clear. No matter where you go in this world, you can go to the most remotest part of people where people have nothing but, you know, just shacks, no electricity, no nothing. Every single community has a level of morality, some more depraved than others, depending on what they believe and what they're clinging to. But you're going to find a level of morality everywhere you go. Why? Because we have been created in the image of God and with a basic level of understanding what's good and bad. Morality is a part of every human being, whether we agree or disagree with our morality. Intelligent, number two, God has made you an intelligent being. God has given you the ability to acquire and apply knowledge and skill. Do you know that? You have a mind that is able to retain information you have a mind that is able to process information, and you have a mind that not only has wisdom, but is able to apply it to daily life, right? God has given you a mind to think. And third, spirituality. And I'm going to define spirituality for our purposes this way, the ability to connect with God in a real and intimate way. God has given you the ability to connect with God in a very intimate and real way. So number one, we're talking about honor. If we're going to learn to honor each other, we got to know who we are and how God created us to be. We've been created in the image of God. Therefore, we should honor each other because in honoring each other, we're honoring God. And how are we in the image of God? Because we've been given a mind to reason. That mind to reason means that we have a moral code, morality. We have intellectual cap capabilities, right? And we have a spiritual reality. We can connect in a very intimate way with God. Now, let's talk about here about the mind. When we come to Christ, God calls us to transform and no longer conform to the pattern of this world. Romans 12, 1 or 2. The Bible says, do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, we come to God. We're saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus. We are forgiven, but the mind still has a lot of work. And that work is something that we have to engage in. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17 says this, so I tell you, and on down, I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. What it's saying there, you are not to live like the world. How does the world live? The world lives following whatever their hearts desire. You know, we say the gospel of Disney, just a way to describe it. What's that message? Whatever your heart desires, it has to be good. Just go for it. The Bible says the exact opposite. 
The heart is deceitful above all things. It's a wicked deal. So, again, it says, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Verse 20, that, however, is not the way of life you learn. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Let's pause there. I am called to put off your old self. To put off my old self. Does that mean that I got to come to church and just ask the anointing to remove it? Lord, just do a work in me. You do it. All you and not me, Lord. Come on, big Jesus. Is that what that means? Does that mean that it's something supernatural that happens that doesn't require me to work? No. It is a supernatural work that I engage in by putting my desires on the cross. In other words, I choose not to do my desires in order to be who God called me to be. Why? Because the Bible says it very clear in this verse that our desires, what? You were taught with regard to the former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. What's deceitful? Our desires, right? The heart, what we desire. Whose desires are they? And so if there are desires and they are deceitful, then who's being deceived? You see, my friends, when we believe this message that whatever our hearts desire is right, and we give ourselves to that, what happens is that our desires become our God. And when our desires become our God, it leads us into deeper deception. And then we will fight for that deception. We will fight for that deception to the death because we give ourselves to it. But we, when we give our lives to Jesus... But when we give our lives to Jesus, we're saying, God, your word is the final authority in my life. Therefore, I submit to you and I yield to you my desires. Even though they feel right to the heart, it doesn't mean that they're the truth of your word. I submit my desires to your word and I pray that your word would come in and change me and renew this mind from the inside out. Are you with me so far? Though we have been made right with God through faith in Christ, our minds have not been made right yet. We have to do some work. And I got to tell you something. One of the most dangerous people that exist in the world today, the most dangerous people that exist in the world today is believers who are not engaging in the transformation of their mind. And what I mean by that is people who say, I believe in Jesus, I believe that he died for me, and I believe that he loves me, and that's all I need. I don't need to engage in the transformation process. You know, I'm not really, I'm not going to dive any deeper. Uh, you know what I mean? I'm just going to receive his grace, and I'm going to continue to do life as I am. That, my friend, is a false gospel. That is not the truth. I can't have Jesus and have my desires. I can't have all of Jesus and have all that I want. The Bible says, if anyone is going to come after me, he must pick up his cross and die and follow me. What does that mean? I don't know, but like death, that's not like romantic. It's not like Jesus is saying, you know, come follow me. 
pick of your cross. Daisies and roses. Pick up your cross and die. My friends, there are desires that I have to die daily to in order to follow Jesus. And when I mean desires, I mean my flesh wants these things. My heart thinks it's right. I have to put that on the cross in order to say yes to Jesus. That's everyday life. God has given us a mind to reason. And that mind is supposed to be submitted to the word of God. Which means, my friends, that you have to engage in learning how to love God with all of your mind. The Bible says, what is the greatest commandment above all? That you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. I want to ask you a question. Are you loving the Lord your God with your mind? What does it look like to love the Lord your God with your mind? You know, I think that in certain Christian circles, we accept this false truth that, you know, we shouldn't be intellectuals. That we shouldn't, you know, be philosophical. That we shouldn't try to dig deep in understanding and in wisdom. You know, I've heard it said so many times, well, you know what, I'm just a fool for Jesus because God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wisdom of the world. You know, I'm just a fool for Jesus. It's all I want to be. That's not, what the, that's not what that scripture means. What the world considers foolish is not what God considers foolish. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if you fear the Lord, you have the foundation for true wisdom. And God is calling you and I to take our minds. And God is basically saying, I want you to take your mind with all its capability. And I want you to train your mind to love me 100% with all that you got. That means that we dedicate ourselves to the scriptures. We dedicate ourselves to understanding the word of God. We dedicate ourselves to walking it out. We dedicate ourselves to meditate on what God has done for us on the cross. We dedicate ourselves to being teachable before God. There are a lot of people, there are a lot of people who are just afraid of the discipline of training our minds for Jesus. We believe so many things that are untrue. I believed over my life, and I'm just, I'm just talking now, that I was just dumb. I wasn't going to get it. I just needed to figure out how to just make it and how to hide myself amongst the people who are more intelligent than me. And I carried myself that way. If I can just get a C, if I can just skate by, if I can just make it. I saw myself as subpar. And when I came to Christ, I was totally okay with that subpar reality. I was totally okay. And I'm thankful for pastors who said, uh-uh. A pastor looked at me, and he looked at a boy, and he said, you can barely talk in Spanish, and you can barely talk in English. You're just, you know, I was a very uneducated kid. And he said, you're going to go to school, and you're going to graduate, and I better not see you here youth group night because you have night school so that you can make up for all the classes that you failed. You're saved. Now your school needs to be saved. I better not see you on Thursday. He sent, me to you, he sent me to night school. After I graduated from school, I just thought, well, you know, great, I graduated. I got a high school degree. Let me just go get a simple job, and maybe I'll make it. That's all the hope I had. Maybe I'll make it. He says, no, 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 no. He says, you're going to college. 
There's some ministry over your life, and you're going to respond to God, and you're going to go to college. Let's go. You're going to college. My youth pastor, my godmother said, I'm signing the loan. You're going to pay it, but I'm signing it. I'm going to make sure you pay it, (laughs) but you're going to school. You're going to be a man of God, and you're going to respond to the call of God in your life. My church refused for me to be subpar. I went to school, and I went into every single classroom afraid to death. It's like, I'm, how long am I going to make it before to find out how dumb I am? That's the way I thought. That's the way I thought. I was part of the Southeastern preaching team representing Southeastern University. And my teacher looked at me and said, you're the best, you're the best student in this class that I had, and I don't know, in, in this decade. You know what my initial thought was? How long until she finds out how dumb I am? There's lies that have been spoken over us. It's a point where I said, you know what? I'm done with this lie. I'm going to get into the Word of God. I'm going to love the Lord. I don't care. I'm not even going to measure myself. I'm just going to get into this. I'm going to love God the best I can with my mind. I'm going to love the Lord the best I can with my mind. And I, I, I couldn't put a book down. I love to study. I love the Word of God. I love things. I love it. Why? Because God has given us a mind that's able to learn. And let me just tell you, part of loving God is learning to give your mind over to Christ. Would you stand with me today? If you see yourself as dumb... You're making less of who God created you to be. And if you see yourself as dumb or incapable, it's going to be hard for you to honor yourself as God intends you to honor yourself. If you see others as dumb, you don't have the heart of Jesus. I'm going to repeat that. If your worldview is that other people are below you, you do not have the heart of Jesus. God is calling you to call people up, not push people down. And sometimes you don't even have to use words to do that. You can be condescending without saying a word. And I want to tell you something. All the lies that have been spoken over you and over your mind, they're from the pit. You belong to God. The Lord loves you. You have the ability to gain wisdom and understanding. You can grow in him. God's going to prosper you. You're going to make it. You're going to graduate. God has a calling over your life. The enemy, don't let the enemy take that from you because the enemy didn't give it to you. You're wise beyond your years. You want to know why? Because you got the source of all wisdom. Maybe you're here and you're older and you're thinking, what do I have to offer God in my mind? I fry my brain with drugs or I'm so old, I don't think I can retain anything anymore. It's a lie from the pit. I serve a God who's able to heal. I serve a God who's able to transform. And I serve a God who says, I want your mind today, and I can do a mighty work. Amen. I can do a mighty work. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We are made in your image. And I make a commitment to honor everyone that surrounds me. People who think like me and think differently. People who have different political views. People who serve false gods. I make a commitment to honor them. People who are atheists and agnostics. I make a commitment to honor them because they've been made in the image of God. And I make a commitment, Lord, to speak life. To speak life over them. To speak life over my brothers and my sisters. I make a commitment for the rest of my life to never believe that sheep are dumb. I make a commitment to stay teachable before you. Father, I make a commitment to give you my mind. And as a pastor, I make a commitment to call the church up to true higher learning, the wisdom of knowing the fear of the Lord, because they're valuable to you and to me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The altar workers, would you come up to the altar right now? Thank you, Jesus. I want to take the time to pray today. So those who work at the altar, I'd like to welcome you to come up.